to imagine something as we begin this evening. I want to ask you, how do you imagine a life that is blessed looks? Take a moment and reflect. What does it look like to live a blessed life? What, what characterizes a blessed life? What, what things do you think mark out a life that is blessed? Maybe blessed is a bit of a funny word for you, one that doesn't quite connect. Then imagine a, a happy life, or, or perhaps a better in translation might be imagine a life of bliss. What does a life of bliss look like, do you think? I think for uh, a lot of people out there in the world around us, and if we're honest, for a lot of people in here too, the, the life of blessing, the life of bliss, is the life that is lived by the gods of this age, by our celebrities. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's the sort of life you might see on the cover of Hello! magazine. And um, it, it's varied, right? Judging from the cover, it seems to involve lots of parties, very, very many parties. Uh, there seems to be lots of redecorating your kitchen involved in the blessed life. Um, getting married several times, apparently. Getting married is a part of it. And, uh, and going to the beach at this time of year. And for most of the year, it seems, going to the beach. That's, what, that's the sort of life that's depicted to us as a life of blessing and a life of bliss. That's the, the life that we might aspire to. Who's, who's leading this sort of life this week? Well, Ronaldo, perhaps, after, after Portugal's win. Do you think Ronaldo is leading the life of blessing with his extraordinary skill? He's achieved great fame. He's won himself huge rewards. And, and with his epic victory in Euro 2016, it's hard to imagine how it could get any better for him. Is Ronaldo leading the life of blessing, the life of bliss? Maybe. Or at the other end of the spectrum, perhaps, perhaps for you this week, it's Theresa May, you think, characterizes the life of bliss. I know it's a strange idea, but for some people, perhaps, suddenly she finds herself prime minister without the battle she thought she was going to have, right? There was no arm wrestle, no long drawn out thing. Suddenly, she is the highest office in the country without even that much of a fight. She's going to boldly lead our nation through some of the most dramatic changes it's faced in generations. Still, there'll be redecoration in her future, I'm sure. Isn't it typical? You have to redecorate number 10 again, don't you? I'm sure there'll be plenty of parties in her future. I think for some of us, the life of bliss is this life of important and significant meetings and powerful influence on the world around us. But I want to ask you another question. If, if this is blessing, if this is what a life of blessing looks like, can you and I have any hope of enjoying it? Do we have any hope at all of enjoying these sorts of lives? Can ordinary people like us really see these things? Now, some might say yes. Some might say, just give it your 110%. Right? Always go for a jog at 5 o'clock in the morning. Just work hard. Put in your all. Stretch further, they might say to you. Insert your life coach soundbite here. But the truth is there is no recipe for that kind of blessing. There's no recipe. Sure, hard work is part of getting to the top in lots of these different fields. Hard work is part of it, perhaps less so for your run-of-the-mill soap celeb. But there's some hard work involved. 
attitude and determination, these things are significant. But if truth be told, there are other ingredients as well, aren't there? There are things that are rather harder to come by. Talents, opportunities, connections, and also those sudden chance turning points that come in life, those moments which radically alter the course. The world has no recipe to offer us for the life of bliss that it wants us to buy. No matter what people might try and sell you in their self-help books, there is no surefire way to it. But still, tonight's text, tonight's psalm invites us, invites all of us to come and enjoy a blessed life. It's a bit of a different picture. We'll find as we read the, the life of bliss, the life of blessing that's set out in this psalm. Well, it's a little more ordinary, but here's the great news for us. This life of blessing, this is one where we do have a recipe, a sure fire recipe, one that works more often even than Mary Berry's foolproof recipes. So find Psalm 128 if you've got that still open. And we'll take a closer look at this life of blessing that we're offered, and then at the recipe we're given to enjoy it for how we can enjoy it. So Psalm 128, the very first word, tells us what this is about. It's about blessing. And then most of the rest of the psalm spells out what this actually looks like. And I think, actually, it's a little surprising. Look at verse 2, where the psalmist begins to set this out. What's the first thing, the very first thing that marks, that characterizes a blessed life? You will eat the fruit of your labor. That is, you'll get to enjoy the reward of the work that you do. Now, this isn't the fruit will rain down on you from the sky. It doesn't say that is the life of blessing. This isn't the life of blessing is somebody will bring you pre-cut fruit, pre-chewed even, on a tray for you to pick it off. That's not what it says the life of blessing is like. The, the key distinctive of the life of the blessed person is that they work and enjoy its reward. Now, that might not sound very blessed to you, I think our, our modern culture believes that work is the, the enemy of blessing, right? The thing we're all trying to do is retire as early as we can and get this work thing out of the way for good. And in a world, I guess, that's filled with injustice, we should be clear, this blessing that we can easily take for granted of work that is rewarding, well, that's, that's something that not everyone enjoys, right? Many people have no chance at all to do work that is anything rewarding. Many people live with others taking all or almost all of the reward for their work. It is actually a blessing to work and enjoy its reward. And I guess we've got to remember this verse isn't just speaking about the nine to five. This isn't just about time in the office. We're blessed in all kinds of work that rewards. We're blessed in, in gardening. In, in pulling up weeds and planting things and then reaping the harvest that comes. We're blessed in that work with its reward or, or in the work of raising children, the long and hard work of raising children. There's a reward to hope for, a, a, a child leaving your home as your friend, a child walking in a righteous path. And certainly that's a blessing that comes 
Not out of no work, but out of lots and lots of work. Now, the key thing I want you to see here is that a blessed life, the, the bliss life that's set out here is rather more ordinary than we might imagine. This isn't ruling the world, being waited on hand and foot as you lie on the sofa watching TV. It's just enjoying rewarding work. The, the, the back of verse 2 might suggest something different. See the back of verse 2? Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Well, we can misunderstand prosperity here as meaning we're going to be rich. That's what the blessed life looks like. A blessed life is a life in which you're rich. That's the sense the word prosperity has to us nowadays, but it translates the Hebrew word tov, which just means good in its most general sense. Happiness and good will be yours. Now, this, this idea of prosperity comes up again in verse 5. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. It's the same thing there. May you see the, the good things of Jerusalem. This isn't saying blessing equals being rich. Not at all, despite what some TV preachers might want you to believe. And it goes on the same way. Verse 3 gives us a picture of an ordinary family home. Operating well, yeah, but it's not extraordinary. It's not a, a, a mansion. It's not perfect with carefully manicured children meeting overwhelming success in every direction. There's, there's no staff waiting on you. There's no acres of polished estate surrounding the house. There's, there's no, thinking more in ancient Israelite terms, there's no hordes of livestock that are yours, no enormous investment portfolio. I think it's important that we get when we read this verse about family that this isn't a promise of family and children for everyone who is blessed. If that was true, then if you weren't married or if you didn't or couldn't have children, then you wouldn't be blessed. That's not what this is saying. It's just using what would have been a very common experience to explain what this life of ordinary blessing looks like. If you are married and you do have kids, like probably most of the Israelites reading this, most of the Israelites singing these psalms were, well, then the blessing looked like this, family together around the meal table, the heart of family life. And again, that is a pretty ordinary blessing. Now, it's a blessing nonetheless, but it is pretty ordinary. Look at verse 6. May you live to see your children's children. Again, this falls for me into the category of ordinary blessing. Your children's children. Now, not everyone has this privilege. Far from everyone has this privilege. But it's, but it's not extraordinary either, is it? And it wouldn't have been back then. They, they lived shorter lives, but they, they married and had children younger. Seeing your grandchildren, well, many of the figures we read about in our Bibles enjoyed that blessing. It's not saying they live to 120 or 150. It's just an ordinary life of blessing. So this is an ordinary blessing we're reading about. Not the, not the bliss our world tries to tell us is what it ought to look like. Not perhaps what we secretly hope it will look like for us. But nonetheless, it is a good and a happy life. And the wonderful thing this psalm says to us is we can hope to enjoy this. It gives us the recipe. All we've got to do here is follow the instructions. All we have to do is read. Verse 1, 
and verse 4 give us the instructions wrapped around this description of what the blessed life looks like, just in case we missed it. It's a very simple recipe so that even I ought to be able to handle. There's no 30-step process. There's no gently fold the eggs in over a mediumly heated memory before. There's nothing like that in here. It has only one step. Fear the Lord. That's the recipe. That's it. Fear the Lord. But actually, this one step can be a bit confusing for us. I mean, fear the Lord, does this mean be afraid of the Lord? Is that what's in view here? Kind of like in the same way you have a claustrophobia, I'm afraid of enclosed spaces. We should have a kind of godophobia where I'm afraid that God's going to whack me all the time, and so I'm hiding under the sofa. Is that what it means to fear the Lord? Well, thankfully, the, the, the psalmist spells it out for us here in verse 1, so we're absolutely clear what it means to fear the Lord. He gives us a parallel right afterwards, another description of the same thing. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Here's the parallel. All who walk in obedience to him. All who walk in obedience to him. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? What is this one-step recipe we need to follow to live a life of blessing? Well, it's, it's simple. Be obedient to God. Walk or, or live in obedience to him. Now, in case you have doubts about this big, putting an equal sign between fearing the Lord and obedience. I want to show this as something the Bible does again and again. Um, really brief look at one other place. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 10. So come with me to Deuteronomy 10. And again, if you've got one of these Bibles, you're looking for page 189, Deuteronomy 10. <clears throat> We're just going to read a few verses from Deuteronomy 10. But these are key verses. What Moses is doing, Moses speaking here, he is summing up the whole of the law that he's been given for the Israelites. So starting at verse 12, we read this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord, your God? And then it gives us exactly the same parallel, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So the Israelites are told to fear the Lord. And how does, how does Moses explain what that means to them? Well, they're to walk in obedience to him. They're to love and serve him. They're to observe his commands. That is, they are to obey him. There you have this same equation being made. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to obey him, to love and serve him, to observe his commands. Fear equals obedience. Make no mistake, the world around us thinks this is a dumb recipe for finding blessing. And it's not a new thing. The world has thought this is silly for centuries. Calvin describes this idea that obeying God brings blessing. He says it's so much at variance with the common opinion of men. Very few will give it their assent. Surely doing what God asks, keeping those burdensome rules that he's laid upon us, is just going to get in the way of finding happiness, isn't it? I mean, if I can't sleep with whoever takes my fancy... If I can't look at whatever image gives me pleasure, surely that's just closing a door towards happiness, isn't it? 
If I have to do good even to my enemies, if I have to put others' needs ahead of my own, surely that is taking me away from this happy life of blessing, isn't it? Definitely sounds like an odd route to blessing. Foolishness to the world. And as we've seen in the psalm, the the promised blessing isn't even that astonishing in some ways. It's not living like a king. It's just this ordinary everyday blessing. But here's what this recipe does have going for it. It really works. This recipe really works. Unlike all of the shortcuts and the go faster stripes and the cunning plans of the world to make ourselves blessed, to achieve for ourselves blessing, this is a promise of blessing from one who can keep his promises. It's a promise of blessing from one who delivers on what he says. The the psalm starts with a statement. It's a simple statement of fact. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. It's a statement of fact. This recipe is foolproof because God keeps his promises. It's foolproof, but there is, I have to tell you, one little catch. We're rubbish at it. We, we are totally rubbish at this recipe. It's like discovering all you need to do to make meringues is, you know, gently blend in enough air and, and then just finding, but I can't do that one thing. Obedience to God has been an issue for us from our first parents down. Back there in the garden when they believed the lie that God doesn't really love us, when they listened to the deceit, did God really say? Obedience is not our strong suit as humans, is it? We don't do what God asks us to do. We do do exactly what God tells us not to do. Now, would you argue with that? Perhaps you would. Perhaps you're thinking, you don't know me, I'm not so bad. And it's true, I, I, I don't know you. I don't know any of your lives inside out. Perhaps you haven't done anything really that terrible, and so God, perhaps you think, ought to be blessing you because you've led a pretty decent sort of life. Done all right. Helped the granny across the road. Been nice to people. Open the door for ladies. If that's you, I think it's worth reminding you of just what sort of obedience God has called for here. You see, God is calling for perfect obedience, not a a, a 9.5, which is a pretty good mark. Not even a 9.995 but 100% every time. Perfect obedience, not just on the outside where everyone can see and measure us and weigh us up, but inside in the heart where God sees. The very first of God's commands to us is where we stumble. We find ourselves beginning to sink. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. The most important command according to Jesus But who among us could claim a 100% record on that one? I think if truth were told, most of us would be terrified if what was going on in our hearts was up on the screen. Can you imagine it? 
somebody pictures up there what we really think. How often our minds stray away from where they should be. But our hearts are completely open to God. Nothing is hidden from him. And so none of us can claim this obedience which brings blessing. And knowing the recipe, understanding the recipe, well, it all means nothing if we can't or if we won't follow it. Perhaps this goes some way to explain the experience of so many in this world, which looks nothing like this life of blessing set out here. Those who will not live to see their children's children, those who work and there is no reward for them. Well, perhaps our lack of obedience is part of the seed that produces that fruit. So, what good is this psalm to us then? If none of us can manage this perfect obedience, what good is this promise from God that blessing follows obedience? Here's the recipe, and we can't pull it off. And here's another strange thing. Don't you know there are places in your life where you have experienced God's blessing? Don't you know there are places? Maybe you'd have to think a little bit to find them, but... Actually, so many of us, if we put our minds to it, we enjoy ordinary blessings. We, we overlook them, but they're blessings nonetheless, things we take for granted, but come from God. Now, is there some back door? How does that work? We, we said there's this equation, okay? Obedience equals blessing, and yet we don't have the obedience, and we get some of the blessing. That, that, that's odd. Two things to say first, God is good. He, he's so good that he blesses the undeserving. Sometimes the, the blessing we enjoy is ours simply because of the goodness and the generosity of our God, irrespective of our disobedience. Now, Jesus says this. Jesus says he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Some measure of God's blessing falls upon us all, obedient or not. Theologians would talk about this under the label of common grace, not common in the sense that it's ordinary like a, a common pigeon or a common Pokemon, but common in the sense that it's, it's shared by us all. Some of God's grace and blessings are common to us all, obedient or not. That's my first answer as to how come this obedience equals blessing equation seems to break down. How can we see some blessing when we don't have the obedience? But I don't think this takes us all the way over. So we need to add a second answer. And here's the second answer. Jesus is the master chef. He's the one who can follow this recipe of obedience perfectly. He's the one who knows what it is to truly fear the Lord, to obey the Lord in everything from your heart all the time, flawlessly, through his perfect conformity to God's commands. In keeping with the recipe, he's the one who should receive blessing. And it's remarkable to think that Jesus probably would have sung this psalm as he walked towards Jerusalem that last time. He would have known this promise of obedience equals blessing. 
And yet here's the amazing thing. Jesus did not get this blessing that he deserved. He didn't know blessings and goodness. He didn't live to see his children's children, did he? There was no peace for him. Instead, he died a lonely death, deserted by his friends, aged just 33. He didn't get what he deserved. Instead, he took what we deserved. The Bible tells us he bore our sins. Our failure to keep this recipe of obedience, well, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He took all of the results of our messed up recipe making on himself. Just as he didn't get what he deserved then, we also don't get what we deserve. We make a complete hash of this recipe for a blessed life, don't we? We trash the kitchen, we put the wrong ingredients on, we turn the mixer on with the lid up, then we leave it in the oven for an hour and a half longer than it belongs, and yet because of Jesus' perfect obedience, we get to share not just the, the ordinary blessing this psalm promises, but a thousand times that blessing, a million times that blessing, a blessing which we by no means deserve. See, through Jesus, we enjoy renewed relationship with our God and life forever with our God. All our disobedience, all our mistakes are nailed to the cross, taken away, laid to rest forever. We live as friends of God because of what Jesus has done. And so, and so we can hope for a life filled with blessing. Even though we don't always keep this recipe, even though our obedience at its very best moments is patchy, uh, through Jesus we are invited into a life of blessing through him. Uh, a life of blessing that, that never ends, a life even more blessed than what's described here. Perhaps you know tonight that you have messed up this recipe completely. Perhaps you're here tonight thinking that there is no way the kitchen can be rescued for you, that you burnt it, it's done, and it's over, and it's finished. Well, you need to know that it doesn't depend on you. That no matter what you've managed to do, this life of blessing is open to you through what Jesus has perfectly done. Own up to your disobedience, your inability to please God and your unworthiness, and then praise Jesus for his obedience in your place. Praise God for the blessing poured out on that obedience, blessing that, that we get to enjoy even though we never earned it. And a closing word to those here who'd call themselves Christians. I want to know, do you feel blessed? Somebody asked you to describe your life. Would you have described your life as a blessed life? I think we're so prone to grumble and moan about what happens to us, aren't we? I think that's because we're longing for a bigger, flashier, racier, richer sort of blessing. 
We very often overlook God's ordinary blessings that fill our everyday lives, thinking somehow that it would look different if it was really a blessing, but we need to remember that these small, ordinary things are blessings God has poured out on us. Fruitful labor, happiness in the home and family. And we need to count our blessings, name them one by one. Have you heard that old song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Open our eyes and observe how we have been blessed. Not just in the ordinary, but in the extraordinary. Relationship with God for people like us. Hope of a future for people like us. Again, I'm pretty sure with this song, it will surprise us what the Lord has done when we think about it. Surprise us and call us to his praise. We're going to pray together for a moment and then respond together.